Hi, this is Nikki Housby-Skeggs. Join Lucy and me for a Get to Know Your New Council Members. Hi, welcome to another episode of Beaver Pod Life. And today we have with us Nikki Housby-Skeggs, who is one of our new council members. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Lucy. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for coming today. Um, so, Nikki, you're veterinary director at the Horse Trust. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, including your your background and your journey to where you are today? Yeah. So, uh, I get my life story now. I um, I grew up in uh, rural Wiltshire. Um, we had lots of pets at home, and. Um, my mum used to bring us home little orphan lambs um, who used to bottle feed uh, in our garage under a, a heat lamp. And then when they got a bit bigger, they would kind of run around the house and then they would they would not live with us any longer. Um, so I think that's where my sort of uh, interest in becoming a, a vet came from. Um, we lived in uh, quite, a, quite a sort of farming community and I used to go down and help milk the cows from when I was quite young and I just just really enjoyed that. So I, um, I definitely thought I would probably be a, a very wealthy farmer at some point, um, but turns out that was, that was perhaps not the most realistic route. So uh, I thought being a vet would, would be all right. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I, I travelled off to... Um, to the Royal Veterinary College at, um, at the age of 18 and moved from rural Wiltshire to uh, Camden, which was a little bit different, um, and I absolutely loved it. Um, so, uh, yeah, had a great time at university, um, had lots of great friends, and, um, yeah, just just really, really enjoyed it all. Um the whole way through, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And certainly when I started, I thought I still, you know, thought I might want to be a farm vet. And, um, yeah, and then I kind of did different things and, and sort of changed my mind quite frequently, which I think is fairly common for, for students. And I think um, whenever I have students say, oh, I don't know what I want to do yet, I always think that's brilliant because I think, yeah, you can do all of it or you can do a bit of it or you can change. Um, so I think that's always quite exciting. Um and then I think uh, coming to the end of university, I realised that I was um, still quite young and I had a lot of years of work ahead of me and I thought, right, I just want to go and do something really different. Um, so I had a few friends who joined the police and I sort of thought, oh, that would be quite fun and maybe I could do something um, with sort of the mounted branch or something like that. And um so I, I went and did a little bit of investigation and they said, well, this is ridiculous. You're going to be a qualified vet. So rather than coming and doing this, why don't you why don't you look at joining the army? They've got vets and you can sort of do a lot of the same stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I, I applied and um, I sort of thought, oh, I expect at some point they'll tell me that I am definitely not in any way suitable. Um, and despite a bit, slightly embarrassing point when I got two out of 20 for a military knowledge test at one of the, uh, one of the interviews, I thought, I think this is probably not the career for me. Um, and I, th- I think luckily when they sort of said to me, you know, um, you got two out of 20 on this test. What, what have you got to say for yourself? <laughs> I sort of said, 
I know a bit about being a vet, and that's what I was applying for. <laughs> I don't know anything about tanks. And I think they sort of realise, mm, yeah, fair point, she doesn't really need to know anything about tanks. And also, they're going to teach you that when you join. So I don't know why they asked in the first place. But um, so, so somehow, um, yeah, they, they, uh, they let me in, and then... Um, yeah, I finished finished university and uh, I had had my sort of place in the army ready to start in the October. Um, and uh, my my dad, I distinctly remember saying, "What what are you going to do till October after I graduate?" And I thought, "Oh, I'll just go and work at the pub, Dad." And he um, once again, I got like, um, "You know, you are actually a qualified vet." I said, "No, I'm a new grad. No one will employ me for a couple of months." And he said, "Well, why don't you find out?" Um, which I was packed off to the PDSA in Birmingham to work, <laughs> which which was brilliant fun. But yeah, I don't think I haven't ever let my dad live it down. Um, so uh, yeah, so um, yeah, I joined the army, and um, I sort of thought I'll do a couple of years, and um, then I'll I don't know go and do something else. And uh, yeah, it's been ended up doing ten years. Um, which um, was probably a sign of how much I was enjoying it. Um, so I did, uh, I did some small animal work. So I did um, a couple of years working with the military working dogs, and um, we were at the time moving them in and out of Iraq and Afghanistan, um, kind of uh, making sure. I mean, I, I certainly wasn't training dogs, which my dog will testify to, um, but kind of overseeing their sort of health during training, making sure that the training was was the right sort of conditioning for what they were going to be doing, um, doing a bit of, uh, it was sort of, sort of helping towards policy work about how we would manage dogs in heat, um, things about traveling, running the sort of quarantine units in and out, making sure they all had all the right tests and vaccines and all those sorts of things, um, which was was really good. Um, really, really enjoyed that. And the snow in Germany was absolutely beautiful. So that was, um, did a bit of skiing at the weekends as well, which was great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I came, came back to the UK and um, my boss at the time I was we were working at the the sort of army hospital um and also where all the sort of junior vets and vet nurses everybody gets trained and um my boss sort of said well, I'm not a big fan of horses um do you like them and I did so I sort of said yeah quite like them he said great you can you can do the horses and I'll I'll do the dogs so I thought okay it's fine so I did, I did a little bit of both but um it was nice we just set up the um clinic the clinical associate um with uh, Nottingham Vet School. So um, I was kind of doing a little bit of teaching, um, but also having some of their clinicians were coming in and kind of helping with cases. And um, yeah, really um, very helpful because I I hadn't really touched a horse since university. So I definitely needed that help. Um, And then uh, after a little while there, the the post of the veterinary officer of the King Street came up in London. So... um, off I went down to London and then spent five years in London working with the King Street and the Household Cavalry as one of their vets and uh, kind of doing everything from the kind of routine healthcare, emergency cover, um, kind of doing all the big events. So we did um, a Queen's Birthday Parade, state visits. We did the funeral for Margaret Thatcher. Um so those are those things which just, I mean, they, they were exciting at the time. But when you look back at it, you think that was pretty cool that we got to do that. Um, I think my, 
my highlight is I got to ride on the, um, we did this thing called the Standards Parade, and I actually got to ride on that parade in all the kit, which was amazing. Um, so that was that was really fun. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I kind of finished that, and I went to work at um, Army Headquarters, which... Um, it was really interesting. It was all about the kind of future capability of the army and how we would use animals in defence. And the work was really interesting, but I really just missed being a vet. Um, and I wasn't really ready to, to not do that. So uh, I decided to leave. And then I worked in two practices um, over a couple of years after I left. And I learned so much. Um, I'd never really seen a foal. And suddenly it's kind of like oh we've got a sick foal I was like cool that is that is exciting for you <laughs> and so I remember a few yeah a few panic so it was, it was quite weird because there were some things I felt really confident about and other things I'd just never done so I felt like a new grad and I was sort of ringing around saying help me um so that was quite exciting I learned so much over those couple of years um but I think ultimately it wasn't quite what I wanted to do um I think my sort of reason for joining the army was that I could you know at the time there were animals going out being used um in defense and they were you know essentially um it was was really fascinating the dogs going out to Afghanistan there came a point where people did not want to go out the gates without a dog with them because that dog provided a level of safety for them a level of assurance and I think while I wasn't the one doing that it was something by looking after those dogs it was something I could do that would support those soldiers feeling safe or safer in a role that you know quite frankly was was terrifying at times um so I think for me doing something that I felt had that um that I, I, it's just a different role. It's it's no less or more important than anything anyone else does. But for me, that's kind of always what I've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think moving into the charity sector was probably the thing that made sense for me because you have the animals that are directly under your care that you can sort of contribute to their lives, but also the impact you can have um, in the sort of wider sector and, and across the, the country is something I've always wanted to do. That's amazing. And yeah, I hadn't even thought of it like that. The dogs providing that support to the soldiers they're with is really invaluable, isn't it? And so yeah, it's, you know, your role therefore is extremely valuable to the dogs. So it's kind of chain of <laughs> chain of support, yeah. isn't it? That's yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, being able to train people in doing first aid for the dogs so they just knew if anything did happen, they would be able to look after them as best they could. And I think it just, it felt like the thing I could give them. Yeah, that's lovely to hear. And then, so you, you, you get then came to the Horse Trust, and, and what does your role at the Horse Trust involve? Talk us a little bit about that role and your day-to-day responsibilities or how your, how your weeks and months work. So, yeah, my, my, so my primary role is, is definitely the horses that live here. We've got about 130 horses on site. Um, they're all here because there's, there's something wrong with them. So they're all kind of patients in in a sort of big hospital or hospice or however however you want to sort of view it so it's it's everything from um you know their vaccinations their dental care they you know a lot of abscesses this time of year um just kind of uh yeah those individual cases um 
it's nice having a big group of horses because I think you kind of get, I guess, the little farming part of me is you get this sort of herd health um, bit as well, which I really enjoy. So um, we've done lots of work the last couple of years about um, uh, worming and um, parasite control and trying to get that under control, reduce our use of anthelmintics, kind of helping to develop some of the the newer testing and and kind of... uh, yeah, trying to apply all of these things practically and see how they're they're really working. Um, so that's been um, that's kind of been one of the the wider projects of looking at that whole group. And I think the thing we like to do is is take uh, we fund research as well. So I have um, I have a role in um, reviewing research grants that come into us and those sort of proposals, and then kind of looking at them, and deciding whether there's something. Um, that we, you know, we want to fund or um, what's going to kind of have the most impact for the money that we've got available. Um, it's not all down to me, so don't panic if anyone's putting grants in. But we have a committee that do it. Um, so that's really interesting. And then some of the um, uh, the kind of information that comes from, from those research grants and then looking at how can we apply it here and then kind of looking at well, how does that work on a practical level and what can we kind of learn from trying to apply that and how can we, you know, then disseminate. Well, this is what the research says. This is what we found in practice and these are some of the things that we found were difficult and this is how we overcame them and then we can kind of help to to make introducing some of those practices a bit easier for other people. We'll kind of take the pain for them a little bit. Um, and yeah and again just making sure that our team who work here with the horses who are you know amazing especially this time of year trudging around all the mud and all those sorts of things and trying to make sure that they are well supported well resourced and um, that they have the training they need to do do a good job for our horses yeah that's another very enlightening thing which I hadn't thought of is that how you're right the research that happens particularly with the charities is um, then able to be put into place put into action and almost sort of trialed or you know at least piloted in some way what what's yeah. been just you know sort of discovered or, or 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 put into action and then that can be a way for others to learn how how you guys have done it how they can put it into practice or into their own yards it's yeah so it's a, it's a sort of melting pot of information really isn't it from the research that you can then yeah, we. I mean, we get so nice. much information here. It's it's having time to um to analyze it all. I suppose is the challenge. Yeah. and work out how to implement it. Yeah, no, yes. it's, yeah. it's it's a really unique position that you guys are in, isn't it? Which is very valuable. Absolutely. Yeah, we would be. Yeah, we wouldn't be quite as far ahead as we are without that. So that's uh that's very helpful. And um and you've obviously joined council this year. What what made you want to do that? You're obviously quite busy by the sounds of it. So how did how did you want, why did you want to put that in as well? Um, well, it, it's, it started when I was um, lobbying David Mountford about something uh, over dinner, and um, it was actually about the. Um, the splinting guide that we're we're currently putting together and I was I was sort of um, harassing him about it and he said okay I'll bring it up at council but you have to apply to be on council <laughs> so that was the sort of deal we made so that's that's where it came from but um I'm but I'm, I'm really glad he sort of pushed me to do it because I think um you know, I was saying to to David when I saw him last. You know, I I have accepted that probably I'm not going to come up with you know the next big piece of research that changes the equine sector. Probably not going to find the new big sort of standing fracture repair technique. And I'm you know I can accept that. Um, but I think um, what I would like to think I'm quite good at is is kind of um, 
representing people so listening to people's views and and kind of really understanding what what the problem is and then trying to sort of um voice that um to try and try and find a solution to it so i think you know the splinting project for me was that there is you know it's it's pretty stressful finding a horse with a you know with a potential fracture or, or a known fracture and you know you've often got a you know an owner who's very emotional about it it's it's pretty frightening you have a horse that's very stressed about it and i think as a vet that is it, it's a pretty stressful thing to try and get right and then the sort of added thing of have i put this splint on right have i done this the right way have i put enough layers of this and that on and all the other sorts of things it it just adds to to all of that being quite difficult so by giving people a, a kind of guide and and this is beaver's um recommendation or beaver's advice on how we do this and this is consensus we've come to it sends something well if i follow that consensus a i've got a plan of what i'm going to do i'm not having to kind of look in all sorts of different places i can you know i can show an owner this is this is something that's been produced and we're going to follow this guide and this has sort of been been what what has been agreed as the best way to do this and then actually when i refer it hopefully you can refer it and say i've followed this this guide and that's what i've used and therefore the person receiving that horse can say great you know what you followed that guide that's really helpful and we give you know we give our patients the best chance of of survival we give our our owners some um some confidence in the fact that this is you know this is kind of the best practice um and then i think that that makes life um a lot less stressful for for the vet that's been put in that situation yeah and that's that's a that's a really good point i think beaver is a if it's got one role that's really applies to all its members it's that ability to distill all the information that's out there into something that's you know digestible and readable and usable out in the fields you know rain you know middle of the night disaster struck crying owners and and helping vets you know navigate those situations in a, in a way that they can come out of it feeling like they did a good job because we're all capable of doing good jobs but it's whether we've got the yeah. information and the and the and the techniques available to us to, to carry out that work so yeah right. and i think the thing sort of the things about the things that make life stressful are when you've got so many things that you need to be thinking about that it becomes overwhelming so you're worrying about the owner you're worrying about the referral you're worrying about the horse you're worried about yourself it's so many things to have to think about so if we can try and reduce the number of things that the number of micro decisions and the number of things that we need to kind of think about we can just kind of make hopefully just make it a little bit easier yeah and it, you're right it's providing kind of like a one-stop shop isn't it i know where i can go and get that information go yeah. there here it is i can read it quickly yeah, yeah right and 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 that's a lot of what council members end up doing for those that haven't ever been on council listening you know that's it is about putting real world problems to a yeah. group of people and getting the right people involved tackling them and then giving everyone else <laughs> that that solution to then fix that issue out in the real world and, and yeah you're, 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 you've been fantastic i can say so far in the work oh, you've thank done, you. particularly with the splinting guide but you're also working because you're on you're on a couple of committees aren't you which committees are you on and, and working groups and things uh, health and medicines um i think that the big part of that has really been the um the work on anthelmintics and um again trying to produce them some guidance for people to kind of work through all of that different information and try and um 
have something they can work through for their for their clients and um again just try and try and come to some consensus over all the different different advice that's out there and just try and slowly um push people towards you know testing try and reduce the symptomatic resistance risk um so that's been really really fascinating um and then the the education uh committee as well as the the other bits so um i I did my um postgrad certificate last year or the year before um so again just just looking at how do we how do we deliver training? What's the best format for it? What's the best way of delivering it? You know, online, in person, blended. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about about being part of part of that as well. Yeah, and education's evolving all the time, isn't it? I mean, even yeah. you know, over the last few years with COVID, we've seen such a change in the way it's delivered and how people want it to be delivered. So that committee is working hard, isn't it, to try and achieve and deliver what people want and need to, to help. Yeah, and just make, make it accessible to everybody in a very digestible ways we're all so busy so it's just trying to get the the right information in the right format yeah yeah exactly and uh and your what's your sort of have you got any projects of your own or any sort of topics that you're particularly interested other than the ones you've obviously mentioned of course but yeah i think i think the first thing is to finish the ones i've already started and try and not get get carried away about anything else um yeah i think i mean at the moment i think um it's really understanding what's already happening, how that's already happening, the different groups that are working on on different things. So, um, like I was saying earlier, I I come up with ideas. You know, we sort of get home from work and uh, I think, oh, that's a really good idea. We should definitely think about that. But nothing nothing solid at the moment. <laughs> so I think um, I think trying to trying to finish the ones we started. But definitely, I think um, I'm really excited about the the Anthem Intics work coming out. I think there's you know, people have done some incredible work on that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think. Um, as I say, I keep having lots of ideas and none of them are quite formed into a, a firm plan at the moment. So I won't commit to anything right now. <laughs> well, you're quite, but you're quite involved already, to be fair. So, And obviously you've got three years on council, potentially six if yeah. you get the re-election. So lots of time to do good work. And I think, as you say... You're, you're constantly working with other people, you know, in in these fields, and it's quite humbling, actually, isn't it? To like, like you oh, have the amount of expertise, and also the amount of time people dedicate to to working on these things for the greater good, you know, for us all to benefit. So, um, yeah. your time is very much appreciated on council, and uh, we really look forward oh, to thank you to seeing seeing your work and your contributions. Oh. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Thanks for talking today, Nikki, and giving up your time. And I will be seeing you at some meetings very soon. So Absolutely. Thanks, Lucy. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.